If you've got your Bibles, we're going to verses 8 through 9, and as you turn there, especially if you're new with us, thank you so much. My name is Drew Winters. I am not the pastor of this church, and uh, so you can affectionately call me not John. It's kind of an inside joke. Uh, pastor John is ministering today at Christ Chapel Dublin. They have opened up a brand new facility, and they have asked him to come on their kind of uh, during their special season in their life, and asked him to share on their pastor appreciation. The thing he specifically told me to tell you was that he hates to miss any Sundays, much less two Sundays in a row, and uh, or two Sundays in a month. I'm sorry, not in a row, um, but that uh, there is nothing on the near horizon on his calendar, and he'll be back. And uh, so, uh, we wish him. Every bit of God's blessings as he ministered today, but I'm excited to be here with you as well. So Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9, this is what it says. It says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Let me pray one more time as we bless the reading of God's word. Father God, again, thank you for your word that it sustains us and gives us life. I thank you that it's a living, breathing document. God, I thank you that your word is not dead, it's alive. And I thank you that you speak to us through your word. And I pray, Father God, that you would help me communicate through your word what you placed on my heart. In your name, amen. All right, let's open up with an incredibly awkward question. You ready? Incredibly awkward question. Okay. Now, I'm going to talk to the married people, right? But uh, if you're single, I want you to listen in because your time's coming, okay? Uh, at worst, if you've been in a long-term relationship, maybe you'll understand some of this, but especially the married people, I want you to think back to that moment where you realized that the person you married is absolutely, completely different than you are. Completely different. Now, husbands, you got to be careful. Wives, you got to be careful. I'm not picking on any particular one, right? I'm just talking about people and spouses in general. I, and I'm not talking about that moment, you know, we got the little romantic stuff where, oh, he's 50% and I'm 50%, and that makes 100%, and it's great, okay? No, I'm talking about that moment, and I guarantee you, if you've been married more than one week, this moment has happened, right? Where you look at your partner. And more than just, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus or whatever it's called, you realize that your partner is not even in the same solar system in their thought process as you are, right? And, and you know, and there's a part of you, you realize that their crazies come out, and before you get too self-righteous, you realize that you got your own crazy, right? Okay? And, and the beautiful part of marriage is that both of you put up with it together, and that's what love is. Love is a choice sometimes, especially to put up with people's crazy, but you realize that you are completely different, that you're wired different, you look at the world differently, you react differently, everything. And, and we kind of go through this dating society, so to speak, where, where the first uh, couple of parts of a relationship kind of mask um, those differences, right? And, and so, I mean, this is not exhaustive. If you want to, if you want to take these notes and post it somewhere, great, it'd be awesome, right? But, but this is Drew Winner's... Um, relationship till crazy, till you realize the crazy is their guide, right? So, so and, I, and I'm going through stages, right? And, and you can probably relate with some of these stages. The first stage is I call the meet stage, M-E-E-T, the meet stage. And that's when you meet 
whether it's, uh, uh, whether it's at a, through a mutual friend or whether it's however, but you meet that other person, okay? And, uh, and for guys, you know, what, what usually determines whether the meet part went well is by our looks, right? Uh, the girl is, you can, you know, the guy can kind of not be all that good looking, but if he's got a great personality, then the meet stage goes well, right? Okay, but that's the first part. But here's the thing is that the meet stage really covers up. You don't really get to know the other person's crazy and how you and, you and her or you and him are different during the meet stage because that, that attraction and the excitement of meeting somebody kind of mask, mask over that, right? And after we get, you know, once you get through the meeting stage, we actually go through the dating stage. And, and, and everybody dates a little bit for, you know, a little bit different. Some people call it courting. Some people have boundaries, big boundaries. Some people don't or whatever, right? But we go through the dating stage where, uh, where you, it still kind of masks how different you and, you and that person are because you're kind of in that mode where you're trying to impress each other, right? You know, he doesn't want her to know how bad he stinks, right? And so he makes sure before every single date that he's going to take a shower, maybe splash on a little bit of cologne, maybe brush those teeth because he wants to look good. She wants to mask that she's crazy, right? And, uh, and so she spends her time, she spends her time, you know, trying to be really sweet natured and not snap and everything else, right? You know, and again, hey, guys got crazy too. This, I, ain't, I ain't calling women crazy. I'm just talking about they spend the dating phase not showing who they really are, right, even though you say you do. You spend the dating phase trying to impress each other, right? You try to do the best dates and, oh, this is how life's going to be like, right? You know, and I'm going to dress like this for you every single day. I'm going to dress sharp or whatever, right? I'm going to take a bath every single day because this is how life is, right? You know, I know I live with mom right now, but that's going to change, baby. I know it is because I got big plans, okay? <laughs> right? But then after that, Ah. So after the dating phase, then we go to the commit phase, okay, where, where there's a commitment made, right? You know, uh, he, he finally ponies up and gets on one knee and says, will you spend the rest of your life with me? And she goes, eek! And, uh, and, and she says, yes, right? And that's kind of a high, and so you don't really get to know each other's differences because you're on the high of, I've got a fiance, i got some bling, look at me, right? And then you go into the wedding planning phase, right, where, where you're planning a wedding, and it, it could be one week away, it could be six months away, but there's still a high because you're, you're planning that and all that stuff, right? So even during that moment, you still don't get to know how different each, each and every one of you are. You don't. But the fourth stage is after the wedding, and I call it the uh-oh stage, I call, I call it the what have I gotten involved in stage because there comes that moment where he don't take a shower and you realize how bad he stinks, but yet he's going to come over and say, hey, baby, come here and snuggle up with me on the couch, right? There's also that stage where, where you know, maybe she realizes, you know what, I don't have to put on any makeup and I can just be myself and whatever, and, 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 and he looks over and says, whoa, whoa, right? Okay, it happens. It happens, right? And y'all are laughing because here's, here's the thing I can tell you is that you don't laugh at something that's not the truth. So y'all are laughing because you're agreeing with me, uh-huh, right? So we go through these stages where we realize we are different. We're different. And then you spend the rest of your life having those Polaroid moments where you realize, I'm completely different than this person that I'm married to. And the ones that make it work right, are the ones that sit there and say, you know what, I'm going to love you regardless, and we're going to love each other because you know what, I put up with your crazy, but you put up with my crazy, and we're good. That's what love is, right? Kim and I, 
Ha. Kim and I have gone through some of those moments. We've had some of those Polaroid moments before, before you sit there and think, you know, wow, Drew's talking about me, but yeah, he don't talk about him, himself. So I'm going to share some of my moments, my uh-oh moments, where Kim and I realized that we're completely different people, completely different people, right? My wife spent last night begging me, please tell me what you're preaching on, and I wouldn't tell her. I wouldn't tell her. I'm like, baby, I'm going to talk about how God's ways are higher than our ways and all that stuff, and she's like, okay, good. She just happened to see the notes while, uh, while the offering was being taken. She goes, you're, you're talking about me today, aren't you? I knew it. Yes, I am, darling. <laughs> yes, I am. So here was some of the Polaroid moments over 10 years of marriage that Kim and I realized we were, that, that we were different. Totally different. Wired completely different, right? Some are, you know, some are funnier than others, but one of the first I realized, I am a single child. I, 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 I'm, I'm just fiercely independent, right? That's just who I am. My wife is more connected, right? Doesn't mean that one's wrong than the other. It doesn't mean that one's better than the other. That is not what I'm trying to say. But I had that realization when on, when on our honeymoon, and we were actually at Grand Cayman Island about to go swim with some stingrays, and she looks at me and she goes, oh, there's a payphone. Let me go call my mom and let her know I'm okay on my honeymoon. And my fierce independence was like, you know, what are you doing, woman? Right, we're about to go swim with some stingrays on your honeymoon. And she goes, I got to go tell my mom. And so she gets on the phone, hey, mom. So she no, I'm okay, I'm good, how's things there? Right, but that was one indication, okay? I've already mentioned this earlier, but another difference between him and I was, between Kim and I was more Kim's Polaroid moment than, I, than mine. I'm just going to be honest, okay? I, 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 I tend to sometimes enjoy stinking, right? And, and I'll put it that way, and she doesn't, okay? And there came that moment about six months into our marriage where in the car I was stinking, and she looked at me and she goes, you're proud of it, aren't you? <laughs> and it hit me. I was like, yes, yes I am. <laughs> While I hold the button to that window so you can't put it down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's another one, right? I, I, tend, I tend to be a little bit more adventurous in life. Tend, uh, Kim tends to be a little bit more cautious, okay? Uh, that plays out in a variety of ways when it comes to restaurants. If Kim's been to a restaurant three times at least, um, I can tell you what she's going to order at each restaurant because she never tries new things. I love to try new things, right? I love to have new adventures and experiences. Kim's a little bit more cautious, right? A couple years ago, we took some teens up to Safe House in Atlanta uh, so that way we could, we could do a little outreach, uh, minister and feed the homeless and everything else. And, and it's funny because we probably took over three weeks, 70 plus teens. And the only person that we took home because she couldn't handle it was Kim, my wife, right? And it was so funny because I, I realized because we were doing some late night ministry, we were walking around this path and I'm handing out sandwiches and blankets and socks uh, to these homeless people. They're so appreciative. And all of a sudden, magically, I don't know how. I mean, just pixie dust. I don't know how. But those, those uh, sandwiches and socks that I handed to these homeless people magically reinvented themselves and turned into knives and guns. And once Kim saw the knives and guns, she was like, Drew, you got to watch out. And I'm like, baby, no, no, no. They, they don't have a knife or a gun. That's a sandwich. That, 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 that's mayonnaise that you're seeing. That, that's, that's not the glean of a knife. No, I can't handle it. I can't. And so I had to take her home. I really did. Okay? Kim and I relax in different ways. Okay? 
she comes to sit on a Thursday night. She sits next to me, and she goes, baby, I found this wonderful Lifetime original movie that explores, my, uh, that explores how a woman really feels and, and her emotional journey through a lot of dramatic experiences, okay? Me, it's Thursday night, and I'm sitting there going, well, baby, that's great, but it's Thursday night football coming on, and, and, and Jimmy Graham's on my fantasy football team, and I got to see how he does, right? And so then, husbands... Then we realized, you know what, but hey, I'm a smart guy. You know what I do? Instead of telling her, you go watch your show and I'll watch my show, I said, baby, I'll watch your show with you. And I spend my whole, my, I'll spend my whole time on my phone going, how's Jimmy Graham doing? Mm, oh, I'm so emotionally invested in this, baby. <laughs> Woo, touchdown. Tell me you don't do that, guys. Tell me you don't. <laughs> All right. That's just some of my, uh, Kim and I, those Polaroid moments where we realize we're completely different. Now, let me just say this. The beautiful part about my wife, now that I've spent about 20 minutes embarrassing her, right? Uh, the beautiful part about my wife is that we both accept each other's differences, right? She loves me. I love her. We don't try to change each other. I don't look at her differences and say, you know what? You know what? You know, you're, you're different than me, but I'm better. She doesn't look at me and say, you're different than me, but I'm better, Okay? We both accept each other for who they are, and it works. And the marriages that don't work are the ones that see the differences, and instead of, instead of accepting it, say, you know, I'm going to love you in spite of that, to have friction. It's amazing how we can tell so much about each other through a difference in relationship, just differences. Here's, so, here's what's so funny about the passage that we just read in Isaiah 55, though, because God is describing a relationship between him and us. And in his description, he has the audacity to say, I am completely different from you. But instead of us being equal, where my ways, we're my ways are different than your ways, but they're kind of both equal, God has the audacity to say, my ways are different than your ways, and my ways are better. I'm not the one with the problem, God says. You're the one with the problem because my ways are perfect. See, there's huge differences. See, God says that we started on this relationship with him and this journey with him, and it didn't take long before us, for, for us to realize that there's some huge differences between how God handles things and how we handle things, between God's ways and his plans and purposes for our lives and our ways and plans and purposes for our lives. But instead of God looking at us and saying, you know what, it's all good, one way and the better the other, God looks at us and says, your ways are wrong. My ways are better and higher and bigger than anything that you could ever imagine to be your ways. And we're the ones that are called to adjust. Well, Drew, why do you say that? Okay, that's great. So a lot of stories talk about how God's ways are different than our ways. So, so how does that apply to my life? Very simple. See, God has had me walk on this journey for about two months now where I've worked this sermon out in my heart and didn't even realize what it is and what God was doing. And he's brought me here today because God wants to really give you perspective on something that each and every one of us have in common. Because despite our differences and despite our diversity, each and every person in here is binded and united through at least one thing. And that thing is every single one of us in some way, shape, form, or fashion has a problem in our life. Each and every one of us, if I were to bring you up and put a chalkboard, gigantic chalkboard, have you to list the problems, stresses, things that keep you up at night, things that keep you awake, 
obstacles, things that you really don't like, things that you wish you could change about your life, it would probably take us hours to have you list those things. But, and even though the fact that all of our problems are different, we're united by the fact that we've all got problems. Some people's problems maybe seem small. Some people's problems maybe seem big. Some people in here have problems that literally you walked in today with tears streaming down your face because of the problems and challenges and stresses that you've got in your life. Some people couldn't go to sleep last night because you spend your life and you spent your night worried about what's going on in that situation and how you're going to fix it, how you're going to make it better. We all have the same common denominator. We all have problems. And here's the thing that Jesus Christ said in John chapter 16, verse 33. He said this. He literally looked at his disciples and he said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you're going to have trouble. So literally, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, look, hey, you've got trouble. I'm calling it. And that, that verse is true for us today. Jesus Christ never did promise that our lives were going to be trouble and problem-free. He never did promise us, despite what is portrayed sometimes, that as soon as you become a Christ follower, that all of a sudden God exists to eliminate one by one your troubles. Because Jesus Christ literally said, no, you're going to have trouble going to have it. The thing about trouble is, is that all of it is circumstantial. Either things that we create, things that others create, problems that come to us, problems that we seek out. We've all got problems. And I'm sure if, we, if God could come down here in person right now, that'd be one of the things you'd talk to him about. Say, God, what about this? What about this situation? I'm, tr I'm struggling to make ends meet. I'm struggling with my health, God. I'm struggling with this relational conflict. And God's word for you today is, is Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. Today, we're going to talk about when it comes to your problems and your troubles, how God's, how God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts and how God's ways are higher than your ways. Because God absolutely will work out things in your life, but he's going to do it on his timetable. Today, I'm when it comes to your problems, I wish that I could sit there and offer you this Hey, um, put this penny in this machine, so to speak, and, uh, and, and pray five times looking this way or that way or whatever, and then your problems are going to be solved, and that's not what I'm here to do. Some of you, God has some solutions to your problem immediately. But for some of you, God's going to wait a little bit, but the most important thing isn't the timing. The most important thing is the perspective that God wants to give you today. God sent me here today for specific people who knew it was going to be here because you spent your time worrying about your problems. And God's saying, you know what? If you'll get over our differences and how my ways are different than yours, I will give you perspective and will give you hope. So let's dig into it. Let's look at that verse and what it says for us. First of all, God doesn't think like we think. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Looking at the first part of that verse. He does, God doesn't think how we think. Because he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Do you realize that the way we think and the way we've been wired to think and the way that we've been programmed to think and handle our problems, however big or small uh, uh, that they are, are completely different than how God thinks about our problems. The first part is that we tend to think in linear terms. We tend to think in a straight line. For us, in the way we've been taught, in some way, shape, form, or fashion, A plus B equals C right? 
But sometimes when God thinks about our problems, God doesn't think like we think where A plus B equals C. God thinks, God will, will still give us the end result of C, but he'll take X and he'll take W and he'll probably add a couple of numbers in there and a dash of salt and a dash of spice, mix it all together and when we least expect it, here comes our outcome. God doesn't think in linear terms like we think. We think in terms of right now. And we'll say things like, God, God, when are you going to move in my situation? Because what we're saying is, God, why haven't you moved right now? That's what we're saying. That's how we think. Because if we were going to solve this problem, any problem that we come up, let's go ahead and get out of the way. Let's fix it. But God doesn't think in terms of right now. God thinks in terms of right time. Because to God, process is more important. We think in terms of what is possible. And we'll pray prayers like, God, will you do this? God, can you do this? But for God, impossible is a constant reality. We'll say, God, will you do this? And God will say, don't ask me if I'll do this. Ask yourself if you'll believe that I can do this. Because God doesn't know what impossible is. We think in terms of resources. This is a statement that we'll make. We'll fill in the blanks, right? We'll go, God, I could do fill in the blank if you would do fill in the blank. Or we'll say, God, if you would only fix this fill in the blank, then I could do this. And I'm sure I just gave you that sentence and you're already filling it in. God, if you would, God, I'm single. If you would only give me a husband, I could be happy. Why haven't you fixed that? God, if you would only fix my friend, God, then I could do this. God, if you would only open up the door for that job, I could do this. We, we say that's some, some form or phrase of that statement to God all the time because we think in terms of resources that if we had the resources in our hands, whatever it is, then we could do what we feel God's called us to do. But God doesn't work that way. We think in terms of resources, but God thinks in terms of faith. We ask, we'll say, God, I could only do blank if you would do this. And God said, but will you believe me for what I've already spoken? Because God doesn't think in terms of resources, because God is unlimited resources. God doesn't think in terms of lack. God doesn't, there's never a time that God looks down and doesn't have something. Because God doesn't think in terms of lack. When he speaks, it happens, but what he asks for us to think about and to understand and to know is that he's got it. It's faith. We think in terms of time. Again, we'll say do it now. God thinks in, in terms of timing, when the time is right. We think in terms of questions. How can I solve this problem, we'll say. God thinks in terms of solutions. I already know how to solve it, he says. So how does that apply to us? Whatever it is that if you could write on that list of your problems, stressors, questions, concerns, whatever it is that you have of God, if we could get to the point that we realize God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God actually, and this, this passage is so beautiful because it actually represents and shows that God has some sort of, and I don't understand it all because he's much bigger than I am, he has cognitive thought. And if he is thinking about you and your situation, that means he's planning. And any solution that we could think of to come up to fix our problems, do you realize that God is probably about 15 million thoughts ahead of you? That is powerful for us today because there are people here that literally in the back of your mind, you're going, God, how could you ever fix this problem for me? 
And not only is he thinking about it, but he's already come up with the solution. And you don't even know it yet. But more than God, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God doesn't act like we act. He said, he said in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, he said, not only are my thoughts not your thoughts, but my ways are not your ways. My ways are not your ways. Do you realize that God and his ways of dealing with solutions and problems is exactly the opposite of how we would handle stuff and handle solutions? Exactly the opposite. Do you realize that, and let's just go through some of these. He says, for those who are looking to find their life, you realize that how he asks you to act is complete opposite? Because for those who would find their life, he actually asks you to give it up. For those who would wish to have, fill in the blank, he would ask that you give, fill in the blank. Well, how can I have something if I'm giving away? That's how God's ways work. That's how God functions. The thing that you want, the thing that you're so desperate in your life to have, God says, why don't you first give it up? Give it away. Completely opposite of how, we, of, of how we act. For those who would wish to hold on, he asked you to let go. As I was preparing my notes for this and as I was going over this message, I, it may be one or two people, and I'm not trying to call you out or anything like that, but there's some people in here that Holy Spirit's laid on my heart. You're holding on to something. Maybe it's a lost loved one. Maybe it's a promise for your finance. I, I don't know. I really don't know. But God just says, if you, you're holding on to it, if you'd be willing just to, to let go and trust him with it, and that goes opposite to how you feel, that goes opposite to how you would act because you just think that if you can hold on to this one thing that's going to come true, and God says, will you give it up? Completely opposite. For those who wish to be loved, he asks you to love first. For those who wish to have success, he would ask that you would redefine success. And for those who wish to change outwardly, he would ask that you would first change inwardly. How we act is not how God acts. His ways when it comes to solving the problems and the stresses and the issues of our life is completely different. Well, why is that, Drew? Well, what is God's? Priority. How is he going to solve problems? You mean to tell me that there's no formula? You mean to tell me that I can't just do X, Y, and Z and then get exactly what I want? Uh-uh. There's really, if you look scripturally, when it comes to how God is going to act to solve your problems, there's two patterns that I've found. There's two. And you can pretty much guarantee that these are going to happen because I can back them up by scripture. The first priority when it comes to how God is going to act in solving your problem is that God, God's first priority towards solving your problem is to work it out in such a way that will bring him the most glory. If God is going to solve your problem, the thing that I can guarantee you, if you will submit to him, is that he's going to work it out in such a way, he's going to solve that problem, that stress for you, in such a way that you receive the less amount of glory and he receives the most. Because in Isaiah 42, 8, God said this, he said, I will not share my glory with any other. And God will work the behind-the-scenes things in your life and maybe you've experienced this, maybe you haven't yet, but it's beautiful when he does it. It just seems at that point where there's nothing else you can do. You've exhausted every other option. You've tried every single thing you know to do to solve this problem, to fix this situation in your life, and you're, and you're just out of options. And it, isn't it funny that once we come out of options, that's when God comes in and says, oh, here you go, boop, 
And isn't it beautiful in those moments where we go, you know what? If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't have made it. That's where our testimony comes from. I've heard this beautiful, beautiful song in the last, I don't know, four to five weeks or whatever on the radio. I don't listen often to Caleb, but I just happen to turn it on. And there's a song, I don't know who does it. It's called My Story. And it's, it's a beautiful song. If you ever get a chance, go listen to it. It's incredible. And it, says, it has lyrics in it. It says, um, it says uh, it's this whole thing. If, it, if I could tell you my story, and one of the lyrics, it says, I could tell you about life, but it wouldn't be mine. I could tell you about all these things, but I didn't provide them. And then one of the hooks in the, uh, in the chorus says, you know, but to tell you my story really is to tell of him. And I look back over my times of walking with the Lord and walking with God, and I wish I could sit up here and tell you with integrity this because I had all these solutions and had all this wisdom and knew exactly what I was doing. But the truth is I look back, and my story and the only reason why I'm on this platform today is because of God. It's because just when I needed him the most and just when, he ex when I exhausted all options is when I looked to him and to his unlimited resources and he solved the solution that gave him the most glory because he's not going to share it. Because the truth is, if I could go in and solve the problems on my own, I'll be honest, maybe you're not like this. I'm just going to tell him myself. I am selfish enough to where literally I'll go, I did it. Oh, I solved this problem. This financial problem, I did it, right? My health problem, solved it. My relational problem, solved it. Because I'm awesome, I do it all the time. But see, God will bring me to situations and put me in places where my resources are absolutely done because he wants to receive the most glory. Here's the other thing. God's first priority is to work it out where he'll receive the most glory. God's second priority towards solving your problem is to work it out in such a way that will stretch your faith the most. James 1, 2, 3, 4 says, Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. It stretches you. You need to understand that if you're giving your problem to God today and you're praying about something and you're asking him, God, I need to know. God, I need you. I need you to work. Not only is he going to work it out in a way that gives him the most glory, but he's going to work it out in such a way to stretch your faith. If you look at the Bible and how he treated every single God-fearing character in the Bible, those two elements were at work. Abraham, yes, God, I'm going to give you a son, and that son's going to bless you. And, and, and you're, and you're going to be the father of many nations. Great. And the story of Abraham's life is that God worked it out when he was an old man, when Abraham was almost faithless. When Abraham and his wife struggled to believe, that's when God came in because he stretched their faith and God received glory. Same for Moses, same for David, same for even, even Jesus Christ himself. God's going to work in situations. He's going to work in in. in out, he's going to work in your lives in a way that that's going to bring those two things about. I wish I could sit up here and tell you the timing of the how and the when and the who and, and God's going to do this and if you only just do this or whatever. But the truth is God didn't come here today. To, he didn't bring me here today to solve your problems. He, bring me, he brought me here today to grant you perspective. And that if you would just take an ounce and believe that God's ways are higher than your ways. Here's the next one. Not only does God, uh, God does not think how we think, and God doesn't act like we act. On top of that, we will actually never be able to reach God's level of thinking and acting. It's impossible. We will never be able to reach God's level of thinking and acting. 
The scripture says in verse nine, it says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are your thoughts. So not only does God declare that who he is is completely different than who we are, but he actually goes and compares it and tells us that even if we wanted to completely understand and go on this mental ascent and level and understand completely how God is, it's impossible. Because he says, as the heavens are higher than the earth. Well, who was he saying this to? Yes, he was saying this to us, but he was talking to people that didn't know flight. He was talking to people that never knew a booster rocket. He was talking to people that never knew an airplane. He was talking to people that never knew any of those things. And so what he was saying was that it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible for you to reach my level of thinking and my ways. So why try? And I, and I did a little bit of research as well. That word higher he said, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. That word higher in, uh, in the Jewish language, and, and I hope I say it right, is the word gabah, G-A-B-A-H-H. -H. And literally translated, it means this. It means to soar. It means to honor. And it means to exalt. So literally, if we, if, we look at this, if we look at this translation, what he's literally saying is, my thoughts and my ways soar so much above your ways. My thoughts and my ways are so much more honorable than your ways. And my thoughts and your ways are to be exalted so much more than your ways. That's how high they are, and you can never attain it. You can never attain it. And we sit there and we go, you know what, Drew, I mentally agree. Yep, I could never be God. I, I can never understand his ways. I get it. But yet when it actually comes out to, to playing that out we, in our lives, when the problems come and when the stresses come, that's when we tend to not, um, our practice doesn't match up with what we believe in theory. Because we'll sit there and say, we'll do things, right? Um, we, we'll, we'll, try to, we'll, we'll try to play God by creating our own circumstances. We'll say to ourselves, if God won't act in my time, and I'll make it happen. Or we'll lower our standards so that way we can say, oh, God did it. But no, God didn't do it. You just made it for yourself because you lowered your standards, right? Or even yet, and I know I'm guilty of this. Maybe you are. We'll do the thing where it's kind of like the, the, the little kid going up to the parent and asking, are we there yet? The entire time. I've gone to God and said, God, give this thing to you. I need you to work in my life. Next day, God, this thing again, I need you to work in my life. Next day, all right, I, during my prayer time, God, how's it coming? You working? You got it? Cool. Instead of me having an ounce of faith that God's actually working on the thing, I literally will go back the next day and say, how's it going, God? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Next day, I'll show up. Are we there yet, God? Right? And the very same thing that I want to throw something at my kids at when we're going on a trip, I do to God. I do the exact same thing to God. See, it's easy for us to sit there and say, in theory, oh yeah, we'll never reach God's level of thinking and acting. I get it. But does it translate to the point that it actually, actually produces trust? Ben, would you come up, please? That's the hard part. 
on the way to where I'm going, after I've received the promise to know where I'm going, that in between time, it's very hard for me. And I'll pray prayers that pretty much ask God, I want the details of the who, what, and the when. A lot of my prayers are surrounded around, God, you give me the details and fix my who, what, and when. And a lot of times, instead of doing that, because his ways are higher than my ways, what God does is he begins to work on the how and more importantly, the why. There's some people in here that are very discouraged today and very frustrated. Oh, you put on a great face, but you're very frustrated and discouraged because you're asking God to fill in the details of the who, the what, and the when. And God's working on the why. And he's working that out in your heart. And it's frustrating because he's not handling it in a way that you would handle it. You would have already had the answers if you were God. And you would have already fixed the problem. But God's ways are not your ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. So with all this information, what do we do? How do I apply this to my life when I leave out of here and I go eat and I go watch football this afternoon and I wake up the next morning? How do I apply that? Simple. God gave you this verse and he sent me here today so that you would rest. See, God doesn't just tell us these things so that way he can just do this Sometimes it's so easy for us to look at God and just thinks that he shows how big and bad he is and he is big and bad and then he just drops the mic and walk off and we go, whoa, that was big and bad. A lot of times, God will give us scriptures like this, yes, so he can show how big and powerful and awesome he is, but he does it because if we'll have an ounce of faith and believe, it'll create rest in our hearts and in our souls. Because see, problems never go away. Jesus Christ said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. I wish I could stand up here and tell you that as a Christ follower, you'll never have problems and you'll never have issues and you'll never have stress and you'll never have sleepless nights. But that's just not the truth. We live in a fallen world. What God wants to do, and we get frustrated sometimes because what we want to do is God change our circumstances. But what God really wants to do sometimes is to change our perspective. Because if we're always going to have, if we're always going to have problems, and the solution to give us peace is to get rid of those problems, then we're going to be frustrated for the rest of our lives. And I've literally seen some good people over my years grow up, and as they grow up, they grow more bitter because their problems never go away. You probably met one of those people. How many people have also met the other type of person? whose problems never did went away, who never did go away, but their perspective changed and who they were changed and their faith in God changed. And they realized no matter what comes, God's got me. No matter how bad it gets, God's got me. And there's just a joy and a peace and a rest that's envious. I know I'm not supposed to say envious, but I, I'll, I'll bump into people like that and I'll go, man, I want that. I've been walking this message out, too long of a story to tell, but I've been walking this message out for about two months. Didn't know I was going to preach just this, but just walking this out in my faith because 
So I shared with the staff on Tuesday, how do you believe God in your life for the miraculous, but also trust him in his timing? Right? Those seem like opposite extremes to me, but they're not. And finally, God just been working and frustration and everything else all in my heart and came to a head one day and God just revealed himself and planted a core belief in my life. And I won't take credit for the statement. Uh, it, was, uh, it was a message I was listening to. And I heard this preacher say, and uh, it was just like, God just stopped me in that moment and said, this is what I've been trying to work out in your life. I heard this preacher say, he said, I'm done with asking God to bless my circumstances. I'm now at the point where my prayer is that God would bless my perspective. Because if I've got that, I've got everything. Now, does that mean that you've got to stop praying and, start, and stop offering your petitions to God and stop working or whatever? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. How would, your life got, how would your life change if you got to the point that the things that, the things that you cryptically post on Facebook and the things that you lie awake at night and the things that bring you tears and the, the, the questions and concerns and all that, how much would your life change if you just got to the point that you realized, God, I don't understand how you're going to work it out. But you said in your word that your thoughts are not my thoughts. You said in your word that your ways are not my ways. And you said in your word that it's impossible to, for me to ever understand what you're truly up to. And so, God, I'm just going to rest and trust. Peace will flood your soul and your heart at that moment. The Bible talks about something I've never understood. It talks about a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And I never understood that till I realized, because how can you have joy unspeakable, something that's full of glory, when you're, when you're going through bad seasons in your life, and that's how? Because your prayer changes. God, I know in your time, and you're going to change my circumstances. I know in your time, and you're going to provide me that job. I know in your time, and you're going to bring that lost child home. I know in your time, and God that you're going to bring that perfect person into my life. I know in your timing, Father God, that you're going to, that you're going to um, fulfill your promise for health in my life. I know in your timing, Father God, you're going to help mend that broken relationship. I know you're going to do it. So I'm going to stop stressing over it. I'm not going to ignore the reality. I'm not going to stick my head in the sand, but I'm going to rest that your ways are higher than my ways. Can I tell you the most beautiful perspective as we close that God gives us? God says it's impossible for us to know what he's doing and for us to know his thoughts or his ways. But he does offer us one perspective that is beautiful. And, and when I say it, especially if you've been walking with God for a while, you're, you're going you're gonna to know it. God offers us the perspective of the rearview mirror. Because there are times in my life, and I'm sure there's been for yours, where I'll look and say, how are you ever going to fix this? How are you ever going to undo my mess? How are you ever, God, going to work this out for your good, like your scriptures say? And God will give me those moments where he'll fix it and do it in his timing and with his glory. 
And then I'll see it in the rearview mirror of my life and I'll go, oh, that's how. That's what you were doing. That's how you were working that out. Oh, I see now. Oh, it makes sense now. My rearview mirror experiences when it comes to God's faithfulness have been the most humbling experiences of my life. And they're the times that, have, that I've offered up. The, my, I'm going to say this right. I've repented the most in those times and I've worshiped the most in those times. I've repented the most in those times because I, I realized, God, I'm so sorry for not trusting you. I'm so sorry, God, for not taking you at your word. I'm so sorry for trying to fix this out on my own, God, when you already had a plan. God, I'm so sorry for losing sleep and for having stress, God, when you had it. I'm sorry for not believing you. But they've also turned into the most times of worship. Because after I get done telling God how sorry I am, I say, but God, let me talk about you for a little bit. Look at what you've done. Look at how you worked this out. Look at what you worked for my good. Look at how you brought glory for yourself here on this earth and in my life. What God could do that. What God could be so big. What God could be so powerful. God, I'm thankful that you and I are so different, that your thoughts are not my thoughts and your ways are not my ways, God, because you worked this out on a bigger, badder, and better level than anything that I, my little pea brain mind could have ever imagined and it's beautiful would you stand with us as we close I'm not going to ask you to come to the front I'm not going to ask you to do anything as far as coming or standing or whatever unless you just want to but as we close here's how I think it would be appropriate I'm going to have Ben play a song and that's just a moment of concentration and worship. I'm going to ask that you would pray that prayer and worship and say, God, here's my list of problems. But God, I pray you bless my perspective today and worship. Nothing changes our perspective more than worship because it takes the focus off of us and puts the focus on who's worthy. So can we close and worship today and ask God to bless your perspective. Ben, would you lead us? Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord Jesus Jesus how I trust him how I've proved him more and more Jesus Jesus precious Jesus oh for grace trust him more and I'm so glad that I've learned to trust him 
Jesus Jesus 